Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. And I was going to preach on verses 1 through 4, but for the first time in my life, I've chosen a longer passage. So we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he, again this is Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is God's word. Father, we come before you and we ask you to come and meet us in our weaknesses. Lord, whether it's inattention or unbelief, we pray, Lord God, that you would come and meet us and that you would show us your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd get me out of the way and just help me to show Jesus in all of his glory as revealed in your word. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is going to sound cliche. But the most significant thing you can do to grow as a Christian is look at Jesus. The most important thing you could possibly do if you're thinking about becoming a Christian is look at Jesus. Jesus has his own compelling power. Just who he is not only makes people astonished and makes them marvel, but in the astonishment and in the marveling, we actually experience the most profound change. Following Christ is not about learning a set of techniques that will help us follow Jesus better. But following Christ is about learning to look at Christ. And the Bible says that when we behold his glory, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Now that's an amazing verse because it assumes that you are already at one degree of glory. It's looking pretty good from up here. But that you will grow to another degree of glory as you simply look at Jesus and who he is. And so I want to look at Jesus this morning. And I want us to look, first of all, at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've certainly felt a little bit of powerlessness here at Emmanuel, haven't we? As we've seen so many medical crises come into our community. Whether it's brain cancer returning to the winter's home, or Andy lying in ICU for three weeks, or both Stephanie and Stevie being diagnosed with cancer, or Florence Lopez in the NICU right after birth, and I'm sure I'm missing other deep and hard medical situations. Those situations make us feel our powerlessness. And they're actually right where Jesus displays his power. In these three stories, Jesus heals three serious medical conditions. Leprosy, paralysis, and a fever. The last illness he cures is a fever. Now, fevers are not always deadly, but even with all the modern medicine we have these days, and even with all the echinacea, silver, and garlic oil money can buy, most of us come down with a condition that leads to a fever once or twice a year. And once you get a fever, it can lay you out for a few days, and I'm just here to testify, the older you get, the longer it seems to be able to lay you out. And here we see that Jesus can heal a fever with the touch of his hand. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And the healing he brings is not gradual, but immediately Peter's mother rose and she began to serve him. The second disease Jesus deals with, the middle one in these stories, is paralysis. A healthy young woman like Johnny Erickson Tata goes from diving in the water head first to life in a wheelchair in a moment. And there's no cure, no recovery 
no relief. To this day, most paralytics are confined to a bed or a wheelchair from the moment of their paralysis. And Jesus doesn't even need to be there to heal a paralytic. He just speaks a word to the paralytic's boss, the centurion, and we read that the servant was healed at that very moment. Paralysis runs away at the sound of Jesus' voice. The first illness Jesus heals is leprosy. Now, leprosy is both physically debilitating and socially isolating. The leper has a decaying skin disease, but under Old Testament law, they basically had to socially distance for their entire lives. If you didn't like COVID, you would not like leprosy because you essentially had to be away from other people and were commanded by law to cry out, unclean, unclean, when anyone got near you. And the diagnosis for leprosy was generally hopeless. There's actually a story in the Old Testament of, an, of a king of Israel who's requested to, kill, to heal leprosy, and he responds, am I God to kill and make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. In other words, I can't do that. I'm just a man. I'm not God. He judged curing leprosy to be entirely above his pay grade. And in Jesus, who is God, who is Emmanuel, he just heals it in a moment. The leper says, if you're willing, I can be cleansed. Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. We saw a few weeks ago, and then we heard testimonies last week, that in chapter 7, 28 through 29, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, people heard the Sermon on the Mount, and they were astonished. They marveled. Their jaws dropped. Jesus has this mic drop moment, and the people listen to everything he says with an astonishment. But the same is true of his miracles. They left people utterly marveling. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals a man who's demon-possessed and blind and mute, and we read, all the people were amazed. Jesus is amazing, but maybe it's harder for us to see it because modern medicine is pretty amazing too. And as much as I am thankful for modern medicine and all the doctors represented here this morning, its healing is never as stunning as Jesus's and almost never without side effects. If you watch TV, you hear there are drugs that will help your skin diseases, your heart diseases, all kinds of diseases. But then they start reading the fine print may cause incontinence, heart palpitations, bleeding eyeballs, suicidal ideation. And you're like, whoa, okay, I'm going to think a few times before I take this pill. It may be good, but it's certainly not like a side effect free miracle where you're sick, Jesus touches you, and you are 100% better from just the sound of his voice and the miracle of his touch. There are many wonders of modern medicine, but none of them are full of miraculous power. Jesus, though, heals with the same power that created the world. He heals with the same power that will make all things new. 
1 Corinthians 6.14 says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Beloved, all of Jesus' miracles are just appetizers of the complete healing Jesus will do on the last day, the day of resurrection. Beloved, one day every Christian will be healed of every disease. Leprosy, paralysis, fever, a sore back, stage four cancer, broken ribs, broken ankles, strokes, diabetes. Christ will speak a mighty work of power and we will all be healed forever. Emmanuel, all it takes is a few very terrible accidents, a few serious diagnoses and our fragility and mortality wants to stare down our faith in the eyeballs. Stevie Trevino and Tim Winters, Stephanie Chavez and Andy Bryant. What awaits those sufferers? I don't know. What awaits the many more sufferers at Emmanuel? I don't know. Will they all be healed in our day? Maybe. Will they be healed on the last day? Absolutely. This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We will all be healed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you trust Christ to do it? Yes, he is the one who heals the leper, the paralytic, and the feverish woman. He is able to heal us on the last day as well. In fact, his healing should lead us to trust him for his ultimate healing and for everything in this life as well. I want to quote J.C. Ryle to you for a second, uh, but I should tell you a little bit about this first. I read J.C. Ryle, 1800, preacher from the 1800s, brilliant man, wrote just the most simple messages, and I read one of his messages on this passage uh, on Monday or Tuesday or early in the week, and I thought, oh, that's really simple, a little too simple, and then I studied and studied, got kind of freaked out by my passage, called my phone, phone a friend, called Dan Gertner, wasn't sure what I was going to do, reread Ryle, and I said, man, I really like his outline, I think I'll use that this morning, and so uh, Ryle gets credit for that first point, and the ones that follow as well. Christ is very powerful. Here's what Ryle said about Christ's power. We see here a broad foundation for the faith of a Christian. We are told in the gospel to come to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to live the life of faith in Jesus. We are encouraged to lean on him, to cast all our care on him, to rest all the weight of our souls on him. We may do so without fear. He can bear it all. He is a strong rock. He is almighty. It was a fine saying of an old saint, my faith can sleep sound on no other pillow than Christ's omnipotence. He can give life to the dead. He can give power to the weak. He increases the power of the weak. Let us trust him and not be afraid. The world is full of snares. Our hearts are weak, but with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Beloved, there is no situation you're in where hope would not be more inflamed in your heart if you had your heart settled on this fact. Christ is more powerful than anything you're facing. Christ has the ability to heal, the ability to change, and the ability to transform every single sickness and illness we could ever face. Now, I've emphasized Christ's power and uh, he powerfully healed these three sufferers. He will powerfully heal all of our diseases on the last day. And he will powerfully care for us through the shaking frailty of life. 
but we should also ask him for displays of his power here at Emmanuel today. It's astounding that one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is miracles, and one of the things the church is slow to ask him for is miraculous power. If you try to make it through the Gospels without reading the miracles, you will have a short read. They are everywhere. The blind, the mute, the lame, the dead. There isn't any sickness or or problem that Jesus doesn't come and heal. And so when we hear of crashes and cancer, infertility and senility, we should ask God for healings. Paul told the the congregation at Corinth that that the Holy Spirit gives gifts of healings. Does that mean some Christians can heal every disease? No, the apostles did not heal every disease. Jesus did not heal every disease. But just like God moved through Christ to heal diseases, he can regularly move through us to heal diseases today. And we should never not have those healings because we didn't ask. James 5.14 says that when a person is sick, they should call on the elders, And the elders are to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Beloved, your elders do this on a regular basis. In fact, one of the things we're spending all kinds of time doing these days is just coordinating how to get to all of the different people we need to pray over. Would you pray, not just in the elders' prayers, but in everyone's prayers, that God would be pleased to heal among his people? that he'd be pleased to move with resurrection power early, even before the resurrection. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we should be asking the Christ of all power to heal, to intervene, and to do marvelous works in our midst. Next thing I want you to see, J.C. Ralph thought it'd be a good idea for you to see this, and I thought so too, is the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So good. The compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of these, the people in these stories are in very difficult situations. Peter's mother-in-law was at her son-in-law's house in bed. That sounds bad. No doubt with all the people around, she was wishing she was not dealing with feverish chills and body aches, and a spiking temperature. The paralytic, we're told, was suffering terribly, but his master is clearly suffering as well. Did you catch that? We have to note here that not every slave-master relationship in the history of the world has been a story of oppression, cruelty, and malice. There have been slave-master relationships characterized by real love, tenderness, and concern. This centurion loved his servant. He traveled to find healing for his servant. He appealed for the healing of his servant. So both the centurion and the servant were suffering. The servant is suffering because they've been paralyzed and it says that in the text he suffered greatly. The centurion is suffering because he loves his servant. Then the leper was suffering. To suffer with leprosy not only meant, and I should just say here, it's not really clear that what Jesus is speaking of is leprosy 
or what the Old Testament speaks of as leprosy, is the same disease that we often call in our time leprosy. So we often call Hansen's disease leprosy, a, a disease that uh, results in loss of limbs, and that may be included in what the Bible says is leprosy. But if you go and read uh, Luke, uh, sorry, Numbers 13, Leviticus 13, there we go. If you, go, if you read Leviticus 13 a little later on today, you'll find that it seems like leprosy describes a, a broader set of skin diseases that may or may not include Hansen's disease. Either way, leprosy meant you were never invited for Thanksgiving or Christmas for the rest of your life, that you were socially isolated for the rest of your life. We'll see later in the Gospel of Matthew, lepers meeting Jesus at the edge of town and staying at a distance. It meant that their whole lives, they were not only decaying physically, but they were never enjoying the warmth of human fellowship that would happen if you didn't have leprosy. So all of these people are in a really difficult situation. But on top of that, there were reasons why Jesus would have cause, if you will, to ignore all of them. These people were the despised and the rejected of their world. The leper was literally an outcast from society. The centurion was a Gentile who was hated and despised by the Jews. And the woman was a woman, not despised by Jesus, but definitely a second-class citizen in that day and time. But none of those barriers stop the compassionate heart of Jesus. Their pain, even despite those obstacles, is something he wants to move into. And he doesn't just speak to the leper, he touches him, maybe for the first time in decades. And he doesn't just entertain the Gentile centurion, he commends his faith. And he doesn't just uh, care for Peter's mother-in-law, he's actually moved to touch her at well, as well. And that evening, I said this was about three miracles, that's really not quite accurate. If you look at the last uh, verse that we read, or the last verses you read, we see that that evening he, he had all kinds of boundless energy to heal more people. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Jesus had a heart of compassion towards the hurting of this world. Beloved, if you're a Christian, this is how you should think of yourself. As someone who's received Jesus' compassion. Someone is compassion someone who has been shown compassion by Jesus. All throughout the Bible, we don't always find the word compassion, but compassion, grace, mercy, it's all part of the same package. Ephesians chapter two tells us, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You think about this. Some of us were depressed, some of us were suicidal. Many of us were wallowing in guilt. Others were sick. All of us, some of us were all of the above. And Jesus didn't, even though we were despising him, rebelling against him, rejecting him, dead to him, even though he had every reason to walk away indignant at everything we'd ever done. He's moved with compassion to touch us, to speak to us, and heal us. You know, we should also recognize from these passages 
that one of the ways we should pray about Jesus' compassion is we should recognize that when Jesus heals one of our friends, he's showing compassion to us. Many of you have been moved to pray for others as there have been people struggling in Emmanuel. And of course, you're praying that God would have compassion on them. But when God does have compassion on them, it's compassion on us as well, isn't it? And this is actually confirmed regularly in the scriptures. A woman, a Canaanite woman, comes to Jesus at one point in his ministry, and she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Did you catch that? Lord, have mercy on me. Why? My daughter has a demon. Or what about the apostle Paul? In the book of Philippians, he talks about Epaphroditus, and he says, Epaphroditus was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This is what God does in his church. He puts a love for one another into our hearts. He makes it so that we want to, of course, see God work powerfully in our own lives, but we also want to see his mercy extended in others' lives. And when God works in other people's lives, healing them, delivering them, growing them, strengthening them. We feel personally ministered to by his mercy. That's the bond he's made among Christians. And if you find, your, don't, don't, I, sometimes you'll hear people saying, I'm kind of being selfish. I'm praying they'd be healed for me too. It's not called selfish. It's called love. It's right for us to want the good of other people and especially those of the household of faith. Are you in need of compassion? When I look around on Sunday mornings, I see a few people who've got some hard places in their life. I suspect that unless you have your eyes closed, you look around and see some people with some very challenging situations as well. And then we all know our own troubles, right? We could all write a book about all the things that happened to us. And then there's the question, does anybody care? And we text someone, they don't text you back. Call someone, they're busy. There's not a constant availability of people to care for us in any given moment. But we have a high priest full of compassion. We do not have a high priest, says the author of Hebrews, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's my third point. And don't get your hopes up because I got four. The Lord Jesus responds to faith. He responds to faith. Jesus is not an unmoved man. We're told that at different points in Jesus' life, he did not do many mighty works in a place because of their unbelief. But he loves to do mighty works in response to faith. 
Now, of course, the word of faith movement will say that faith is sort of like a coin we put in uh, Jesus' cash register, a coin we put in Jesus' slot machine. And the more coins you put in, the more chances you have to win. We're not talking about that, but we are talking about that there's a dynamic relationship between people and the Son of God. And when he sees people believing him and trusting him, he loves to move. Now think about this. Where's the one place a leper's not supposed to be? In the crowds. Did you read Matthew 8, chapter 1? Matthew 8, chapter 1. And when he came down the mountain, great crowds were following him. So basically, I mean, where the leper was was not just taboo, it was the number one place he should not be. But faith wasn't going to stop him. He'd heard about Jesus healing all kinds of people. If you remember Matthew chapter 4, there were people from Syria coming because Jesus was healing. There were people from Judea coming because Jesus was healing. There were people from the Decapolis coming from Jesus was healing. Jesus was bigger than a Trump rally at this point. Jesus was bigger than Beatlemania. People were hearing that Jesus Christ and better than a Trump rally too, just in case you were wondering. But anyway, Jesus was healing and it was all over the place. Everyone knew. He was famous at this point in his ministry. The crowds were gathering and this leper thinks to himself, I'm going. But there's a crowd. It doesn't matter. Because faith will move men and women to pursue Christ at all costs. And it's amazing, you look at the faith of this leper, because it's, it's really quite amazing, the faith the leper had. Notice it, if you will, in the text. First of all, he knew enough to come even in the midst of the crowds. He thought, there's something here that's, that's beyond the law that would keep me beyond, out of the crowds. And then he knew enough to kneel down. You ever knelt down in front of anyone? Ever? You ever knelt down in someone in front of a crowd? You ever knelt down in front of a great crowd? It's extremely humble. So here's this man, diseased, full of faith, and kneeling with no doubt in Christ's power. Do you see this? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The only thing that isn't just pure do it now, Lord, is he's got this deference in this beautiful faith. There's a deference. He knows that Jesus actually has to choose to cleanse him. If you will, you can make me clean. And I just, I've loved this verse for years as a Christian. I am willing. Be cleansed. Because Jesus loves to respond to faith. The centurion's faith is, is perhaps even more startling. Remember we said a few weeks ago that everyone else marveled at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Well, maybe you ought to flip it around and say, what makes Jesus marvel? What makes Jesus marvel is being believed. And he tells us here in this passage that he actually marvels 
at the centurion's faith. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. All the Bible readers in Israel don't have anything like this Gentile centurion. This guy gets it. This guy trusts me. Well, let's look at his faith. First of all, like the leper, he was moved to come to Jesus. That's the first motion of faith. It's moved to come to Jesus. And then he lays out the problem. Lord, again, that respect, that honor to Jesus. My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And, and he said, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, there's something marvelous here in the centurion's faith. It's confident and humble. Here's the, here's the humility. I'm not even worthy to have you at my house. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever noticed that we tend to think that the more unworthy we feel, the less likely Jesus is to answer us. You ever thought, well, think of my sin. Think of my life. Think of my background. I'm not eligible for the big ones. I mean, I might get, maybe someone will leave groceries in front of my house once, but that's about the height of my prayer level. Brothers and sisters, your worthiness plays no role in whether or not Jesus would answer you. What moves Jesus is not, now that one's worthy, but what moves Jesus is his own heart of compassion. And so here's Jesus with his own heart of compassion. And the, the centurion said, I'm not worthy. You shouldn't even be in my house. But then I love what the centurion says. But he goes, but I'm not worried because you don't even need to be in my house. He goes, I've been, I've been leading men my whole life. I say to one, go. He goes. I say to one, do this. He does this. This guy has experienced military order his entire life. He knows the chain of command. He's been at the top of it. And when he tells people to do something, it gets done. And what amazing faith to assume that Jesus Christ has the authority over sickness. Merely to say a word and to get whatever needs to be done, done. Listen, we should be compassionate to one another's weak faith. We should be understanding when we have weak faith. But beloved, we should have great faith. Our God is the Lord. Our God has all power. He has a heart full of compassion. He loves to hear the prayers of those who consider themselves unworthy. We should look to Jesus and say, there is no doubt in my mind you can do it. The only question is, are you willing? And it's no lack of spirituality to say with deference to Jesus. Do it if you're willing. That's actually part of the faith. It's to trust that he not only can do it, but he knows the right and wise time to do it. Can I tell you something? If you've got a prayer you've been laying up before Jesus and it hasn't been answered yet, there's only one of two possible reasons why that is. 
If you've got a prayer, you've been laying up to Jesus and it hasn't been answered yet, there's only one of two possible reasons why that hasn't been answered yet. One is you're in sin. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you walk in sin and you're praying, James tells us our prayers will be hindered. First Peter tells us our prayers will be hindered by our sins. So repent of your sin and ask him again. But here's the second reason. Here's the second reason. The only reason God would say no to you is because it's not good for you. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And there really is a sweet confidence the Christian can have when they ask God for something and he doesn't give it to them to say, well, Lord, you must not think it's best for me right now. That's hard at first. It's gonna create lament and grief, but there's also a great confidence to know that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And if he's telling me no or not yet, it's not because of any lack of compassion or power on his part, but only because he has something better planned and something better in store for me. Jesus responds to faith. He responded to the faith of the leper. He responded to the faith of the centurion. And actually, we don't see the faith of Peter's mother-in-law. She, she was laid out with a fever. There's, there's something beautiful here that we do see. We see the response of faith in Peter's mother-in-law. What does she do when she gets healed? It says this, he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began not to serve the crowd, though I'm sure she did that, but did you see this? To serve him. If God has ever healed you of a disease, or if you have any measure of faith in your bones right now, all the energy you've been given has been given to you so you can serve him. So you can give your whole life to serving him with everything you have. That, that's the response of faith. Faith says, help, Lord. And when the Lord helps, any energy, any strength, any provision is meant to be returned back to him in service. We should have great faith, beloved. Even if we're unworthy, even if we, even if we know that we're unclean, we should trust that Jesus is able to heal our diseases if he's willing, but definitely to bring about all of his promises towards us for salvation and even to take us all the way home to heaven. Last point. This one we can't blame Ryle for. The Lord Jesus is a savior from sickness and sin. The Lord Jesus is a savior from sickness and sin. Did you notice something about the leper? This, I was wrestling with this all week. Did you notice something about the leper? He didn't pray, Lord, would you heal me? It wasn't just physical. He prayed, Lord, would you cleanse me? Now, what's going on there? Well, in the, in the Old Testament, certain bodily ailments 
bodily weaknesses were not simply regarded as health matters, but as defiling, as things that make you dirty. Nocturnal emissions, menstruation, touching a dead body, leprosy, all of these were regarded as defiling. Now why? Does the, is menstruation a sin? Is leprosy a sin? No. Are they tied to sin? Oh yes. The fact that our bodies bleed and pus and ooze and flake and die is not the way it was meant to be. It's all because we live in a sinful world. And it's, it's fascinating when you go back into Leviticus and you look at the laws regarding leprosy, the leper who's healed is called to offer a sin offering. They're called to offer a guilt offering. Why? Because they were bad on Tuesday and got leprosy on Wednesday? No, it doesn't work like that. There's not a tit for tat. You do something bad, you'll get a disease. Not always. But rather because all of this decay in our bodies, it really is because of our sin and our guilt. Now that doesn't mean that the guy with cancer sinned more than the guy who never gets a cold. But it does mean that sickness and cancer and bleeding and leprosy and eventually death are not just the way things are. They're not just the circle of life. They're the punishment for our sin and our guilt. But Jesus is someone who cleanses, not just heals. He cleansed the leper and took away that defilement. A little bit more. Look at how the passage ends. Do you see this? We hear this Matthew quote that he loves to quote. He loves to say things have been fulfilled. And he tells us in verse 17, all these healings were to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now this is interesting because he took our illnesses and bore our diseases is a quote from what is perhaps the most famous chapter in the whole Old Testament, a chapter that's often called the fifth gospel. This is a quote from Isaiah 53. And what Isaiah 53 is famous for is for, is for describing the sufferings of Christ for our sins. Isaiah 53 uh, tells us that he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace fell on him. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. So Isaiah 53 is all about how Jesus dies to forgive us of our sins. But Matthew would like to add a little something to your idea of Jesus' salvation. Not only does Jesus' salvation, his death on the cross, save you from your sins, it also saves you from your sicknesses. It did in appetizer form through his healings in the Gospels. It does in appetizer form whenever we pray for someone and they're healed. And the full course meal comes at the resurrection of the dead when we are not just forgiven of our sins, but we will be healed of all of our sicknesses. I plan to be very healthy and at my ideal weight forever. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
And not as a result of some New Year's resolution, but I'm going to die to get there. And when I die, and when you and I die, Jesus will, on the last day, call us forward, and he will bring us up in bodies that will never decay, that will suffer no diseases, that will be free of all leprosy, all paralysis. You can fall off the tallest building in the highest skyscraper in the biggest city in heaven, and you'll, ha- you'll land like a cat. You will not die. You will not be harmed. You will enjoy freedom from sin and freedom from sickness forever and ever. Amen. So what's left to do? Well, if you're a Christian, you should trust him. You should pray to him. You should seek him. The one with all power is your father. The one with all power has sent his son. The one with all power has called you to call him. He's given you all kinds of examples of people who went to him and asked of him and received of him. And if you're not a Christian, you should follow him. Who is this who can raise the dead, heal the leper, heal the paralytic, and heal a fever all just by his word or a touch of his hand? This is the one who has the power to overcome death. This is the one who overcame death by the power of the cross. And he invites you now in this brief period of time to repent and believe in him and to know his salvation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we wanna plead with you and ask you to increase our faith, build our faith, make us true disciples of yours as we see your power and your compassion, and your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name.